Good evening. It's a, a privilege, isn't it, to to come and to worship and to praise and to learn from our God. And I'm going to start by reading Psalm 100, a well-known psalm, but a psalm which helps us, prepare us as we meet with our God. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord... He is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And we're going to stand and sing our first song which is in awe and wonder. In awe and wonder, Lord our God, we bow before your throne. Thank you.
Well, let's, uh, let's turn to our great God in prayer, shall we? Let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we ask for your help as we come to you in prayer. We ask that we would be those who are making a joyful noise to you. We pray we would be those who are coming into your presence with singing. We pray that we would know that you are the Lord and that you are God and you are our creator. It's you who have made us and this world and all the creation were created by you. We remind ourselves that you are good. We remind ourselves that your steadfast love endures forever and that it has crossed generation to generation. Your faithfulness from the creation of this world through to the creation of Israel, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, to this present day. And we thank you that we see that evidence in the Lord Jesus. The way he was willing to obey you. The way he was willing to come. Lord, to live a life here on this, this earth. A life which... Lord, wouldn't have been very pleasant. Lord, he had to face man who had created, face their ridicule. Lord, to be spat on, to be mocked, and then to die, to be put to death by his own creation. Why? To show us that love, to demonstrate that love, because he loved us. He was willing to bear the punishment for us. And as some of us thought this afternoon, may we, as we reflect on our love, may we realise what it cost Jesus to forgive us. Help us to realise about our own sin. May we not take it for granted. May we not take it lightly. And Lord, the more we realise what our sin cost the Lord Jesus, Lord, we wouldn't take it lightly at all. We pray that as we reflect on our sin, that you would give us repentant hearts, hearts that don't want to do it. We pray that you would strengthen us in temptation. We pray that as we live in a world which is constantly trying to distract us away from serving you, distract us away from having faith in you, Lord, may you strengthen our faith. May you be gracious to us and increase our faith. Lord, we pray that if there are any here who do not know you, if there are any here who do not have that trust that your death has taken away the punishment for their sin, if there are any here who have not asked you for forgiveness, who have not called on your name, we pray that, Lord, tonight would be the very night. We pray that souls would be added into your kingdom. We ask that you would be gracious and merciful to anyone who does not know you. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you um, for its honesty. We want to thank you for the way that you use it to teach us. The way the Holy Spirit takes words into our hearts and convicts us and points us to Jesus. The way it strengthens us and comforts us and consoles us in difficult times. The way the Holy Spirit uses it to uh, bring those times of joy and thanksgiving. So we pray, Lord, that tonight you would give us receptive hearts and minds. Lord, as Mark brings your word to us, 
And we ask that our lives would be transformed, that our lives would be changed as your word penetrates us. And Lord God, we don't just pray that for tonight, we pray that um, in the week, as we read our Bibles by ourselves, may they be a time of real relationship with you, a time where our relationship, our trust, our faith is increased. Lord, we pray that there would be special times for each of us. Lord, we know there are times when we struggle. We know there are times when it's harder. But Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord God, we we want to commit to you uh, your word that has been preached so far today. The way where it's been taught in, in Sunday school. Where it's been taught in the prisons. Where it's been taught up and down this country. Lord, we ask that it would bear fruit to your honour and glory. We want to commit to you the home groups on Thursday. We ask that there would be a time where, as we study your word, we, we come together as a church, that you would unite and strengthen our relationships with each other. We pray that as your body, we would grow stronger in fellowship and in love to you. Lord God, we, we think outside of our, our own locality and we commit to you our government. We ask that you would give them wisdom to make the right decisions. We pray that they would have the fear of you, Lord, and that would give them an understanding of how small they are. Lord God, we pray that um, any who serve you in our government, you would strengthen them and help them and as they represent you in the lawmaking of this country. Lord, we think of further afield and we pray for the Ukraine, we pray for that that dreadful situation out there, that horrible war. Lord, we know you have the king's hearts in your hands and you can move it like water, Lord, as you choose so. And we pray that, Lord, the bombing would stop. We pray the killing would cease. Lord, but we also pray that your will would be done. Lord God, we we look and think the devil must be having the victory, but we know that's not possible. We know that you are in control. We know that you are a sovereign God. But we do commit to you, the people of Ukraine who are suffering. Lord, we pray for the churches there in Ukraine and pray that you would bless them, Lord, as they face this really difficult situation, as they face the difficulties of life of people living there. Lord God, we want to remember uh, Turkey and the earthquake there. We pray that you would bless those who are displaced, we pray that you would bless the churches, the Christian churches there, who are seeking to help those in need. May may people see that as a a real window of your love. We ask that you would be with James and be with Phil as they go to Turkey this week. And we pray that that visit would be useful. Lord God, we, we want to, as we come back, we remember... The ladies, as they meet on Saturday, we pray that that will be a unifying time. We pray that will be a time as Rosie, um, we help, pray you'd help Rosie as she speaks to them. But again, maybe a time of where they bring praise and honour and glory to you for what you do. Lord God, once again, we, we commit Mark to you. We ask that you would bless him when he comes and brings your word to us. We pray that you would bless us as we read your word and as we sing your praises in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do our reading. We are going to be in Samuel. So we are in 2 Samuel. 
uh, reading chapter 6. 2 Samuel and reading chapter 6. And the home groups this week um, will be on this passage that Mark is preaching tonight. And if there are any here who aren't in a home group who would like to be one, then please feel free to catch up with John or, or Mark after the service. So 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Isaiah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadad, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went before the Ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they come to the threshing floor of Nacon, Isaiah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzziah. And that place is called Perez-Uzziah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him, because the ark of the God... So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they bought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household, But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honoured himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows 
shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet even more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honour. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And we look forward, Mark, to bringing God's word from that chapter a bit later. And we're going to sing two songs now. We're going to sing two songs, um, which is Be Still, for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. And once we've sung that one, we will move into Only by Grace Can We Enter, um, Only by Grace Can We Stand, and we'll just follow John as he leads us through the two the two songs. Let's uh, stand and sing.
Good evening. God is love. It's a magnificent statement, isn't it? We've seen quite a few magnificent statements recently. The maker of heaven and earth is not just loving, but is love. It's something we need to understand more and more because it is so good. But one of the great warnings we're facing tonight is that God is not simply just love. Too often that's the only characteristic that we think of when we think of God. So when we think of him, when we worship him, when we live our lives before him, so quickly we can be so casual. Because we think, well, he's just a a God of love. Instead of a, a sense of awe as we come before God, so quickly we can come before God as if we are the God and we sort of bring him with us as if he can do whatever we want for us. As Rich Arnold pointed out at the youth conference that we had not that long ago, sometimes we can easily think of God being a bit like a teddy bear that we sort of carry with us, he comforts us sometimes, but he never demands anything from us. Or the, or the sort of God that only, only loves peace. So it loves keeping the peace, never wants to upset anyone. We can so easily shape God to make him what we want him to be like. What suits us, what makes us feel comfortable. But that's not who God is. We're in uh, 2 Samuel 6 tonight. And in this chapter, we're going to come face to face with what it means to be in the presence of God. I've got two prayers for you tonight and for myself. The first prayer is it will go away from this place tonight with a sense of fear and trembling at who God is. And my second prayer is that you'll go away with a heart bursting with joy. And uh, maybe you're immediately sceptical about the possibility of going away with both of those things at the same time. But that's how we find King David as we get to the end of this chapter. It is possible. That's what I'm praying for us. And in Psalm 2, David writes this, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. Now, I haven't got any headings for us as such tonight, but what we're going to do is we're going to go through most of the chapter. We're not actually going to cover all of it. We're going to go through most of the chapter. And as we go through it, just pick out some lessons along the way. Certainly not everything in there, but just some of the lessons. And then at home group, uh, we'll be able to cover a bit more. Well, to help us get what's going on here a little bit more, a bit of background might help you. Um, don't worry if you don't get all of this. Um, doesn't matter too much, but uh, hopefully it will help some of you. David has just been anointed king over all of Israel, and he's just taken hold of uh, Jerusalem. So there you go, you can see Jerusalem there. He's just taken hold of Jerusalem to make it his capital city, and it becomes the city of David. He's also in the previous chapter just defeated the Philistines twice actually. Although if you asked him, he'd say actually it was God that did it. This is what he says. He said, the Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. Now remember that language because it's going to be important later. That language of God bursting through or bursting forth against his enemies. So David is king in Jerusalem. But there's something really important Missing, really important missing, is this, it's the Ark of God. Obviously it's not a photograph, it may not be exactly how it looked, but it gives you a bit of an idea. It was a a gold-plated wooden box with a gold lid. 
It's three feet nine inches long, two feet three inches wide and two feet three inches high. Had the two golden cherubim on it, as you can see, sort of winged angels. Uh, it contained the two tablets of stone and the Ten Commandments and a couple of other things. The, the reason it was so special is because it represented the glory and the presence of God. It was a symbol of God's special relationship with his people, Israel. But the ark is missing. And the reason it's, it's not in Jerusalem is because years ago, uh, many years before this, when Israel was going through a really bad patch, the, the Philistines stole it off them. But they were pretty uh, quick to hand it back when the Lord caused absolute havoc among the Philistines. So they, they hand it back, and it's been, for approximately 70 years or thereabouts, it's basically been sitting in some random guy's garage or the equivalent, basically gathering dust. And now... David wants to bring this ark, with all that it symbolises, back to the very centre of life. He wants God to be right at the centre of everything they do. And just lesson one for us now. You know, it's good to want to know God's presence and glory. What David wants here is a good thing. It's a good aim that he has. Is that what you want? Do you want God to be at the centre when you came to church tonight? Is that what you were hoping for? That in a special way God would be with us tonight? When you go through your everyday life, maybe that's school, maybe that's at work, whatever it is, maybe it's staying at home. Whatever you're doing, do you have a heart for wanting God to be at the centre of everything you do? This is what David wants. It's a good thing to want. So David heads off to collect the ark. Now, it's about nine miles west of Jerusalem. Kirath Jirim, or however you say it. It's about nine miles. And uh, so he goes off to collect it, and wow, is this some event, is this some procession. We see the details in verses 1 to 5. So David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 men. Imagine that, 30,000 chosen men. That's a decent-sized army. And it's partly to protect uh, the ark, but I think there's also just a sense of procession here. It's a bit like, you know, when you, you see the sort of royal processions in London with all the, the soldiers. That's the sort of idea here. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart. They built a new cart for it. It's a special occasion. They want to show they've made an effort. Build a new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab. That's the, the guy's name of the house. Which is on a hill. So we find out it's on a, a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. So they've been kind of keeping it in their garage for a while. They're now the ones driving this new cart. It's a bit of, we're told it's on a hill. It's a bit rocky. And, uh, and David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Can you imagine the noise? They've got this orchestra. Uh, and there's a, a big percussion section. You've got the cymbals and the castanets. And the tambourines, 
It was a celebration. Just try and imagine the scene. Try and picture the scene. Thousands upon thousands of people celebrating. And then suddenly, everything changes. Verses 6 and 7. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Azar put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. So it was rough ground. The oxen stumble a little bit. And Azar basically reaches out to grab it. He doesn't want the ark of God, this special thing, crashing onto the ground. So he reaches out and he stops it. Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Azar. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. It just happened so quickly. And the news kind of spreads like wildfire. And as the news spreads, the music kind of dies down and then dies down over there too. And everyone's just in shock. What? What's happened? Azar is dead. It seems so unfair, doesn't it? He was just trying to stop the ark crashing onto the ground. It was just such an instinctive thing to do. He saw it go and he, he grabbed it. Next second, he, he's dead. Seems such a, a harsh punishment. I don't know how you feel. Was maybe you heard it read and you took it in or maybe as I'm, I'm saying about it now, I don't know how you feel about that. You know, part of God being God means that he doesn't have to justify himself to us. He doesn't explain exactly why he does what he does here. But you know, if we know our Old Testament well, we'll know that actually Azar isn't quite as innocent as we might first think. Now some of you here are employers or you've been in a a position of uh, leadership over other people. And you may have had a situation, it sometimes happens, where um, someone does something wrong, maybe there's there's an accident or, or a breakage or something, and they're protesting their innocence. And they're saying, it's so quick, what else could I do? And maybe there's been some discipline there. And they've perceived it, or maybe other people have perceived it as a bit harsh. But you know that you've given warnings and you've given processes to put in place to stop that very thing happen. To stop ending up in that situation. If they hadn't clearly broken the rules or ignored the processes... or or not listen to the warnings, then actually that accident or that breakage wouldn't have happened. But that's the essence of what's, what's happening here. Many years before, God had given Moses very clear instructions on how they were to handle the ark. It was to be layered with several layers to stop people looking at it, because that's how almost deadly it was, just to look at it. It was so holy. It was to be carried by priests that would put poles basically through the the rings on the ark so that they could then carry it safely, securely and and be sort of some distance from it. They were priests. They were special consecrated men. They weren't just any priests as well. Special priests chosen specifically for the role of carrying this ark. And God had given them all strong warnings. If you touch that ark, you will die. But these people, the Israelites, seemingly David as well, they've just grown so casual towards God. Maybe it's because this this box has been lying in a garage for 70 years or so. Perhaps they just figured it was a bit of a, just a logistical operation. Well, we're just moving it, that's all we're doing. 
Perhaps they were so taken up with this special idea of taking it back, they got a bit overexcited and didn't think properly. They, they built a new cart for it. They knew it was special. It was a grand procession. They had all the right intentions. It was a good thing that they were trying to do. But they'd forgotten to take into account the holiness and the power of God, and they'd just become too casual. They did things in the way that seemed right to them, instead of listening to how God tells them to do things. You know, God's holiness is a bit like the sun, that's why I had that picture on there. You know, the sun's essential to life. It gives warmth, it gives heat, we we couldn't cope without it. I was randomly thinking the other day how long life on earth would last if it suddenly stopped. I don't know, but very short time. And yet, even though the sun is 93 million miles away, we quite often need protection from it, don't we? On a hot summer's day, we need protection from it. You know, God's holiness is not something that is bad. It's actually something that is so good, so pure, that he is unapproachable to us unless we use the protection measures that he gives us himself. You know, it's out of a heart of love that God gives us instructions and protection measures so that we can be in his presence without dying. You know, they'd ignored those measures and Azar paid the price for it. You know, it can be very easy for us not to particularly worry too much about how we do things. To kind of think, well, I've got good intentions, God will understand sometimes we can think that good intentions are enough but you know what God wants is good intentions and obedience here's a second lesson good intentions are not enough we need to do things God's way good intentions are not enough we need to do things God's way you know he gives us his word that we've got here for a reason it's not just an ornament He gives it to us to read so that we can find out how to live, how to know him, how to be safe in his presence. Are we taking God seriously enough? Tonight, as you've come to church, are you taking God seriously enough? Verse 8, and David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Azar. And that place is called Perez-Azar to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? God is angry at Azar and now David is angry. It doesn't say David's angry at God. We don't know exactly. Could be that he's angry at himself, angry at the people as well for just the the casualness, for making such a big error. But did you spot the language? The language that was used. The Lord had burst forth against Azar. Do you remember that language from earlier? That's the same language that was used as God burst forth against the Philistines. David was pretty in favour of it back then. But now God burst forth against Azar. You see, God will burst forth against sin. The problem David had, and all of Israel had, and the problem that we've got still today is that we are sinners. And you notice how else David's feeling? He's feeling afraid. He's just seen an incredibly powerful object lesson on the holiness of God and what it means for sinners. 
And here's lesson three. Sin in any form will not survive in God's presence. Sin in any form will not survive in God's presence. And he asked this question. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can God ever live with us? How can I go around doing my daily life in the presence of God? Well, in 1 Samuel 6, uh, the men of Beth Shemesh asked a similar question. Who can stand in the presence of God, the holy God? Why were they asking it? Well, they were asking it because 70 of them had looked into the ark and they'd all died. Just before I came up to speak, we sang that song, Only by Grace. And there's that chorus, isn't there? Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who would stand? Who can stand in God's presence? Our God is a consuming fire. Who can stand in his presence? No one. We're sinners. And David gets this now. The casualness is gone. And it's replaced by a very healthy fear of who God is. The fear of God is evidence of biblical wisdom. It's good to have a healthy fear of God. Verse 10, so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. You know, one of the perks of being a king is that you get to do what you want to do. David didn't want to take the ark of God with him because it was dangerous, so he gives it over to someone else. Obed-Edom must have been a little bit confused as to what was going on. Why is it not going up to Jerusalem? But it doesn't look like he gets much of a say in the matter. He just gets it handed over to him. For David, God's presence at the moment is dangerous, so best leave it out of the way for now. I don't know whether David expected to hear any news over the next few months or so. Maybe he expected to hear a son's spate of deaths over uh, near uh, Obed-Edom's property. But he doesn't. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The ark remained uh, at the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. We don't know exactly what this blessing looked like, but we do know it's all his household, and we do know that it was so obvious that people tell David about it, King David about it, and they link it to the ark. So it must have been something really obvious. It it makes me think, um, possibly something a bit like after Job had, after his trials, when God just blessed him abundantly. You get that pitch here. He's just blessed so much that everyone around him is like, what is going on? It's the ark. God is blessing him. You know, God is a, a holy God who must burst forth to defeat sin, and yet he is good, and he is the source of all that is good. I've shared uh, this with some of you before. Um, Some of you have heard it a few times, but it just fits in so well here. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis portrays uh, Jesus as the Lion Aslan. And early in the book, you may remember Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, they're describing Aslan to the children. And Mrs. Beaver says, If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking... They're either braver than most, or else just silly. So the children ask whether he's safe. Mrs. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. You know, God is not safe, but he's good. He wants to bless the Israelites. He wants to bless David. And David realises this now. 
So what does he do? Well, he brings the ark up, the last little bit of the journey to Jerusalem. But this time, there are differences. See if you can spot some of the differences in this bit of the journey. Uh, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. The celebration's back on. The noise levels are deafening once again. The horn is blaring again. They're shouting. The whole of Israel is there again. Or the house of Israel. But this time, there's no cart. This time, there are the proper consecrated priests carrying the ark on the poles. And after just six steps, there's a sacrifice. An ox and a fatted calf. This is how David will be able to live in God's presence. This is how he's going to be safe. Through sacrifice and obedience. Sacrifice and obedience. And how can we be safe in God's presence today, 2023? How can we be safe? Through sacrifice and obedience. But you know, the remarkable thing for us today, that David didn't know and wouldn't understand is that it was God himself who gave him up as the perfect sacrifice so that we can enter boldly into his presence. As Jesus was on the cross, he bore the judgment of his father as his father burst forth against Jesus, as Jesus carried on his shoulders the weight of the sin of the world. This is what it says in Hebrews 10. I know some of you have been looking at this in your Bible studies. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, so now we can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us. So he opened up this way for us. Through the curtain, that is through his flesh, Jesus' body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, God is still a consuming fire. He's still just as holy. But he's made us purified so that we can enter into his presence. So that we do not die now when we come into contact with him. And this is lesson four. With sin washed away, we can enter God's presence. With sin washed away, we can enter God's presence. But you know, that does also mean that there's a flip side to that. And the flip side is that if Jesus has not washed away our sin, then we're warned that God will burst forth against us in the same way that he did against the Tsar and the same way that he did against the Philistines. There's a solemn warning there as well as good news. We're going back to the story. We rejoin David. He's got that sense of awe of God still with him. There's still that fear of God. But he's rejoicing because the ark of God is now set in its right place. 
and they're able to safely enjoy the presence of God in the capital, in Jerusalem, right at the, right at the heart, the centre of life there. We don't use that word today, do we? Too much rejoiced. Well, at least I don't. But listen to what it looks like for David to rejoice. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. That's him rejoicing. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the shout of the horn, the sound of the horn. He's rejoicing. And in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. That's David rejoicing. Lesson five, God's presence is to be enjoyed. God's presence is to be enjoyed. Can't we learn something from David this evening? I'm not saying that we should have dancing as an integral part of our worship time. For David, it was uh, it was appropriate in the circumstance. It helped the praise rather than distracted. It was part of a whole big celebration. But does this challenge how we feel about joy in the Lord? You know, David didn't hold back on his worship. He danced with all his might. He gave everything he had. His whole being. And as you see the goodness of God around you, as we look around in the world, and as we see it ultimately in Jesus Christ, does it fill us with joy? You know, it's so easy, I think, for us to think that the mark of true reverence, or the mark of a a truly uh, mature Christian, is a sort of spiritual stoicness. A sort of unemotional response to things. Or perhaps David can teach us something about true joy in the Lord. He understood true reverence. And he understood true joy. And now just to, to finish really, the, the ark of God is set in its rightful place. And now it's not just Obed-Edom that's blessed in his house. The whole of Jerusalem, the whole place, everyone is blessed. Is what it says in verse 18. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. It's been quite the celebration. Quite a celebration. And now everyone has gone home happy and full. Everyone. No one's left out. You know, I can't help feeling that this is a bit of a foretaste of what Jesus was talking about when he said, I came to bring life and bring life to the full. Celebration. Happiness. Rejoicing. Unity. Contentment. Love. Blessing. Well, I was planning originally to, to finish the chapter in this message, uh, but there's so much in there. Um, I ran out of time a little bit, or I have run out of time a little bit to fit it all in. But we have got home groups this week. And uh, I think it'd be really good for us in home groups to think about some of these. The things we've already been thinking about, the, the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. How do we get that right? How do we get that balance? Where have we gone wrong? Have we been too casual, maybe? But we can also finish the chapter off 
Because there's, there's a bit more that happens when David gets home, when Michael, David's wife, meets him. And uh, we can think about who we're living for, how it affects our actions. So I hope there's quite a bit there for home groups. So if you are going to home groups, I know some of you can't make it this week, but if you are, I hope it's a really useful time as we continue to look at that chapter. Our last song is um, something that just struck me as having similar themes to uh, what we've been looking at, really. How pleased and blessed was I. It's got this uh, phrase in verse 1, come let us seek our God today with a cheerful zeal. Is that how we feel? That's how the people there felt. In the second verse, God's people here draw near to pray and praise and hear the glorious gospel's joyful sound. Is that how we feel tonight? And in verse 3, they're David's greater son, so Jesus, has fixed his royal throne. He sits for grace and judgment there. He makes his people glad. He makes the sinner sad. And humble souls rejoice with fear. So, let's stand and sing.
Let's pray to close. Lord God, I pray that you would forgive us for when we are too casual, for when we mould you around what we would like you to be rather than who you are. Lord, I pray that we would remember this story tonight. Lord, you are a consuming fire. Lord, you are so holy. Lord, sin cannot survive in your presence. And yet, Lord, I thank you that you have created a way. You yourself created a way through the blood of your Son so that we could come safely and boldly into your presence. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the wonder of that. And, Lord, I thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, you are the source of all things good. Lord, I pray that we may know that more and more. And Lord, for anyone who has not been washed of their sins, who does not know safety in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you before it is too late. Lord, that you may not burst forth against them, but they may know the wonder of joy and forgiveness and the blessing of being in your kingdom. So Lord, we pray these things and we pray that you be with us as we go into this week. Lord, be with us, keep us, I pray, in your name and for your glory. Amen.